0: Welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoons, the Collider weekly podcast for all things animation, including reviews and interviews coming to you all the way from the planet Schlorp. I'll be your host, Sean Paul Ellis, and joining me from his Mank-Ave, enjoying a solo game of foosball, is my co-host Dave Trombord. David, 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 how you doing? Doing lady?
1: fine, but if this uh, if this ladybot over here would just let me finish up my game, things would be going a lot better. It's a Mank-Ave oh. Not supposed to right. be any fembots allowed in here, but I digress. I Oof, digress. You are.
0: I, I mean, I walked in at a little bit of an awkward time because you, you were getting emasculated.
1: I was uh, in my in my solo game of foosball <laughs> as a robot woman yelled at me. A lot of disappointment, a lot of shame
0: being thrown on you all at once, just for playing a simple game of uh, you know foosball what,
1: man. I, I don't want to deal with it. Just just put me in a cargo container and bury me in the backyard. <laughs> Isn't that what we all want? Isn't it, though? Actually, we're, uh, we're, we're kind of living that somewhat. Right just sort of an above ground. I got to say, though, you said you're from the planet Schlor, but That sounds made up.
0: Uh, Probably is.
1: Mm.
0: <laughs> Why would you say that? I don't
1: know. It just feels like something that, like, if we were just coming up with an idea for, like, a sci-fi comedy alien show, and I was just like, I just need a, a template, you know, just a fill in the blank for a planet name. Like, just give me whatever pops into your mind. Oh, Slurp. Perfect. Shlurp we'll change it later. That's obviously not going to stick. We'll change it later. This is fine for now.
0: I don't know what you mean about placeholders, Dave. We're going live with this <laughs> immediately. <laughs> it's
1: just live streamed. Yeah. Live streamed <laughs> animation would be a hell of a thing.
0: Oh, God. To quote ones. The Simpsons,
1: it puts a terrible strain on the artist's wrists.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, I... I love just sort of the the weird improvised nature of a lot of the naming conventions that we do have for this show. And if you're not familiar, we are, of course, talking Rick about... Rick and Morty.
1: Hulu's. What? What?
0: No. Oh. No. Talking about Rick and Morty. Oh, damn it. Now I did it's it. It's pretty much the uh, same. It's uh, one and the same. So we are talking about the Hulu original animated series, Solar Opposites. Now, Dave... Yeah. Why are you saying that it's the same as Rick and Morty? Because it's
1: from the same creative team, uh, notably Justin <laughs> Roiland and Mike McMahon, uh, that brought you yeah. Rick and Morty. So notably absent Dan Harmon, but pretty much the rest of the creative team, I believe even in the animation studio. Yep. Yeah, they're here for Solar Opposites. It. We'll talk about it, but if you're a fan of Rick and Morty, you're probably going to enjoy Solar Opposites. If you don't like Rick and Morty so much, you might have a rough time with this one because it feels I, like it's adjacent to R&M. Because
0: yeah. I... Feel like there's some interesting path or, or, or an interesting option because if you were to say, "Hey, I don't like Rick and Morty because it seems a little bit too freeform sure. and I don't really kind of understand the direction or 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 what the character arc is in many cases." This is the show that kind of tightens that up a little bit.
1: Or if you're like, I like Rick and Morty, but I wish there wasn't like standards and practices and everybody could just like drop swears and just like brutally murder each other before reforming in the next episode. And that's what I want to see. Solar Opposites is the show for you because there's like no censorship.
0: Rick and Morty and Kenny from South Park, where there's little to no consequences from episode to episode. Yeah, same thing, which is also sort of similar to how Rick and Morty kind of approaches their non sequitur nature yeah. from episode to at episode least well.
1: in the earlier seasons yeah the, this most right. recent season they've kind of uh, gotten away from that and they're starting to add a little bit more of uh, consequences depth? and oh. depth yeah Oh. so if you want oh. a lighter version of that with a lot more <laughs> swears and brutal murder and a little bit of sex thrown in too sure why not uh,
0: yeah Head to Hulu. this show is definitely this show is definitely <laughs> very weird and very horny yeah
1: 100% <laughs> so, it's like I Roiland really- it's like everything Roiland wanted to do in Rick and Morty but Adult Swim was just like mmm we are still a cable program. <laughs> We're going to need to not do that. Put you, it in a folder, label give... <laughs> it Solar Opposites. You can do yeah. it later.
0: Could you also give us a semi nuclear family and then add like one additional weird kind of character or cast member into it so it has the same number in terms of the family dynamic of like a five person grouping you yeah. put in a house? Yeah, we could do that. We can do We can that. pretty much do exactly that.
1: Yeah, we can do it 100%. Uh,
0: that. How many spaceships do you want in this one? And instead of putting the spaceship in the garage, can you crash it into a house? Multiple times. Yeah. Done. Sold. I love it. Very and we,
1: we'll, we'll talk about why we love it and kind of the, the you know, our normal setup for the show that you've been listening to for 277 some episodes. But why are we talking about this now? Because this show came up in uh, in May eight, you know, May eight sure. on Hulu. And it was like their number one show for about a week. Right. Every Like pretty much everybody who had Hulu watched it. So why are we talking about it now in what's basically July?
0: Well, one Dave, because we're all still stuck in quarantine for the most part. That's true. So we're just watching television. We're just catching up, guys. We're, <laughs> we're just catching we're up right? on stuff catching we missed. Up.
1: I just watched uh, Barkskins. I just watched <laughs> snow piercers in the middle of that. It's been great.
0: But to answer your question, yeah. Dave, the main reason we're watching this is because not only did this get a season two renewal, which it had from the start, right. so before season one was even out, they had already renewed it for a second season. This has also gotten an order for a season three. Woo. So we have two more, at least eight-episode seasons Probably, so yeah. 16 more episodes, yeah. hypothetically, on top of this first season, which was eight episodes.
1: Yeah, and we watched them all for you guys. Uh, you know, there was one episode in particular that was much higher rated than the others, but this had high ratings across the board for those eight episodes. Pretty much everything came in around an 8.0 or, or higher. One particular episode uh, comes in at a 9.5 on the Richter scale on IMDb, and we'll talk about why that is and what makes that a yeah. special kind of to me a standout episode and to a lot of folks out there but i don't know what sean's thoughts are so we'll get into that a little bit
0: absolutely but first if you're not familiar with solar opposites and you want a little bit more of a synopsis of this show we're going to turn this over to a longtime friend and listener of the program bobby anthem for this week's synopsis so bobby take it away
1: Solar Opposites, from the creative team behind Rick and Morty, centers around a team of four aliens who escape their exploding home world, only to crash land into a move-in-ready home in suburban America. They are evenly split on whether Earth is awful or awesome. Corvo and Yumulak only see the pollution, crass consumerism, and human frailty, while Terry and Jesse love humans and all their TV, junk food, and fun stuff. Their mission, protect the pupa, a living supercomputer that will one day evolve into its true form, consume them, and terraform the Earth.
0: Perfect. Thank you, Bobby. As always, so freaking good. Dave, what do you want Bobby to be in the shower? <laughs> I th- I I no, I thought you were stopping. What do you want? I know we're at the point now where you're just like, oh, I want Sean to answer this. No, first. I gotta go
1: first. It's only fair that uh, we at least no, alternate no. week to week with uh, who who gets outdone <laughs> by declaring whatever Bobby is and whatever weird cartoon we're talking about. <laughs> I'll I'll say this. I thought about it earlier. I don't think Bobby is a schlorpian. Hmm. Which is a phrase no one's ever said. Um hmm. but I don't see him as a Schlorpian. The schlorpians to me are kind of you get a couple episodes where you see a little bit more into their personal lives, and they're they're very much kind of just like normal humans, but uh, with the exception that they don't really have kids per se. They have replicants, mm. so they have like younger, smaller versions of themselves that are just like replicated. So it's almost like right. little clones of themselves. But I don't know. I think I think Bobby is still at his heart, just kind of uh, he's an Earther, though he may have a tech <laughs> side to him. I see him as a, I see him as a, as a, a sentient swarm of nanobots. Okay, It's my version of Bobby. And he's going to like maybe run for president of like the homeowners association, just like keep everybody in line, but also be approachable, you know, and just have a plan, man. That's really all we're looking for is just like some leadership from your sentient swarm of nanobots. Yeah. What about you? I
0: like the idea where he's like a human posing as a sentient swarm of nanobots so that like something happens. And then at the end of the episode, you all of a sudden see Bobby's character And just all of a sudden like the eye opens up and you're like oh he's still alive that's right to kind of make a bigger reveal that's what i think would make bobby great in this show
1: so we agree more or less i think we agree interesting okay congratulations bobby (laughs) we've agreed on one thing
0: yeah we've been able to agree on one thing look at this we didn't one up each other i genuinely hope he's just like smiling
1: and shaking his head at us two idiots
0: (laughs) at that and he's just like you know what i'm done listening he's done i'm gonna put pause on this for a while you guys (laughs) Uh, Well, let's get into our discussion about Solar Opposites. We are going to tackle the good, the bad, the LOL. Does that sound a lot like a Spaghetti Western? Every week I say it, and yes, it is. That's where we took the entire idea from, because we love to rip off Clint Eastwood. Take that, Clint. (laughs) Yep. You upset about it, Clint? We know you're listening. Come at us, bro. So we're going to talk about the good, what really worked for this show, what we found to be really fun, the bad. Things that maybe just didn't hit for us, things that we maybe want to see distinguished or have unique regarding this program in and of itself. And then we're gonna talk about the LOL, something that was fun and made us laugh, whether it was intentional or unintentional. We're doing all of this with a giant compliment sandwich, obviously recognizing that a lot of time, money, sweat, energy, passion goes into making these projects. So we're not trying to tear this down in any way, we're just trying to give you our actual review of how we felt kind of coming out of this and we have been able to actually watch all eight episodes that are available streaming on Hulu right now. So unlike a lot of episodes where we're making very snap judgments, we're looking <laughs> at an entire picture here yeah. so that we can kind of give you a little bit more of a better review as opposed to just sort of a snapshot of what we've seen, such as Ulysses. Oh, boy. You know, we're just, yeah. I think I'm you kind of have to show. with
1: this one too, not only because it's it's relatively new, so it's easy to stream all at once. Uh, there's a few episodes, you know, only eight episodes of about 20, 25 minutes each. And because the episodes are so, some of them are very different from others. So if we had only watched the highest rated episode, we would have been watching something completely different from what the other seven episodes were, which we'll (laughs) talk about a little bit.
0: (laughs) We would have been very confused about what this entire show is about, (laughs) but also probably a little bit delighted and fun. And we'll talk about that too. Right. So let's get into it. Let's start with the good. Dave. How are you feeling about the show? Anything that kind of jumps out at you? What resonated?
1: Yeah, so from a high level, like we'd like to start with here, uh, coming into this, you kind of knew it was going to be very much like Rick and Morty. That's not necessarily in my good list, but the fact that they had kind of had this uh, this animated American family sitcom approach to things, that really sold it for me. More than a quote unquote from the creators of Rick and Morty or whatever, they sold me more on uh, continuing this tradition of an animated uh, American sitcom. So The Simpsons, Family Guy, American Dad. It kind of continues with Solar Opposites in a way that Rick and Morty's done that too. But Solar Opposites kind of started out that way. Rick and Morty almost wanted to like break apart all those conventions and really have fun with it. Solar Opposite really seems to like embrace it. Like they're digging into all the like tropey stuff and the pop culture references and all that kind of stuff, which I liked. Um, yeah. How about you? what did you think about from like a high level of this? No, I mean, did you I know like a lot? The idea that did you know a lot coming into it?
0: No, I knew uh, very little other than it seemed to be the exact same animation style yeah. as Rick and Morty. Yeah. I've watched all of Rick and Morty and I full disclosure. I love that show. Uh, I, I feel like every time I've watched it and I think I've watched all except the the latest season. I've watched them all a couple times right. now at this point i'll sometimes just throw it on in the background it'll be sometimes a, a breakfast early morning show which i probably should stop because there's a lot of weird crap in it
1: and you always but, want pickles when you're done watching it. it's so weird <laughs> I just,
0: I just, yeah it's very weird so I, I i enjoy rick and morty and it's it's unconventional weird storytelling uh, i love that show's ability to really pack a gut punch yep. in the last minute of a season where suddenly you have uh a realization that everything's kind of been building or culminating to like one specific moment where a character then suddenly gets hit with everything. This show is a little bit different. Yeah. And I like the fact that it really does lean into that, like shoulder to the wheel style. It mines all of the weird sitcom and movie and and reference points that you're familiar with that are in pop culture, that are in the zeitgeist and kind of brings them to the forefront so that they can just make fun of them and play with them. Right. And in hearing those references every once in a while, I think in some cases because I am on stage as an improviser often, and I'm used to kind of references being made, and even if I don't understand the reference, just kind of playing with it and yes, ending that offer to have fun with it, this show does a lot of that in a fun and kind of tongue-in-cheek way as well. And so it ends up being really enjoyable to sort of watch Mainly because that's sometimes how my brain works, which for better or for worse is what we're working with. Totally.
1: I actually yeah. kind of, I don't know which one I actually prefer. I'm not the biggest fan of Rick and Morty just because I can't watch it without separating myself from the kind of fan base, which can be extreme at times. So that's kind of like sure. tainted some stuff for me. I enjoy it. It's not one of my favorites. I would. <laughs> oh, Dave, Dave, just don't go on Twitter. Just don't. Guess go what? On Twitter. I don't anymore. I've unfollowed literally <laughs> everyone and never look at Twitter ever again because it's a cesspool. <laughs> but moving on, uh, I don't know, Solar Opposites, for me right now, it's a lot lighter, like Sean kind of mentioned. It's it's a, it's a an easier to watch show. It's got that sitcom style, even when they're poking fun at it. So it's a little easier for me to just kind of like sit down and enjoy it without worrying about like, oh God, what like philosophical punch is coming out of left field next, or what like horrible revelation is coming up next that's gonna make me feel bad uh, for, for this particular character or whatever. It's a lot lighter at the same time it's a lot uh more mature let's say rather than saying sure. darker um so it's been fun too because again it's just it's zany it's out there you don't know what's coming next but it's usually just like a big fun surprise um right i will say because we always talk about theme songs on this show and last week sean rightfully ripped apart the theme song There's uh, no theme song. <laughs> we mentioned last it was, week it
0: was terrible because
1: it didn't exist uh yeah. it was a, it was a
0: looking at you symbiotic titan
1: <laughs> it was just yes. a complete after real garbage But I'm curious, how do you feel about Solar Opposites? Because it's a weird kind of hybrid mix and it's not a traditional theme song at all.
0: Sure. I I still think it was fun. I mean, the the balance that they have here is that there truthfully is no theme song. It it sounds like there is music with animation and narration to kind of set up the story. And I think in many cases, because like a lot of people who are, are streaming or kind of binging on things, maybe they have kind of like a shared... Uh, plan with like their family and and so their family is like watching stuff a couple episodes and then they might kind of jump in and lo and behold they're not starting at the beginning and they're starting like episode three or four this really gives you a great 30 second intro in terms of narration of why we're doing this a little bit of the flavor of at least one of the personalities of the character being corvo to allow you to kind of understand what is actually happening or taking place and the Thing that I think I like the most about this are the reoccurring bits yep. that they have that are included in it and if you're familiar with watching The Simpsons whenever they do sort of the fade in from the cloud they go into the school and you see Bart writing on the chalkboard that was always one of my favorite moments in The Simpsons was to see what new or interesting or, or commentary he was writing and scrawling on that chalkboard
1: sure same with like the couch gag at the end where they change it up to be episode specific right. yeah so like 90% so- of the intro is the same and you get a little bit of difference each episode
0: and, and every every one of those couch gags or, or every one of the like the bits on the the chalkboard were always so fun. They happen to also do two specific bits in the beginning of this every time as well. And it, it's a little bit funny because they're almost done at the same exact time, because as Dave mentioned, very sitcom family orientation. So the final kind of card that you see at the end is all four char- or all five characters yeah. actually standing in front of the house. Uh, where they are living and you see the giant spaceship kind of crashed <laughs> into the top of it and and Corvo one of the main characters who's voiced by uh, Justin, Justin Rowland yeah, yeah yeah has been talking and, and introing and in that moment then he sort of you know addresses you the viewer and says like I'm the one talking can you not see me I'm holding the pupa right now oh no I've dropped the pupa it's getting away and at that exact moment then he begins these weird riffs that he has that are afterwards that are always like really bizarre mm-hmm. and very unique there was one that involved old people and like why don't we sleep with more old like why don't we have more sexual encounters and engagements with older people and it rambled on for like a good 10 seconds i think that's it was very
1: weird that's where like your improv uh instincts i think came in because that's very much just like they put Royland in the booth or he put himself in the booth and was just like i'm just gonna ramble and rattle off like 50 of these things and we'll keep whatever we think the best eight are there's one about dinosaurs yeah. there's one about like where are That's all the dinosaurs? There's one about blowing up the Earth. There's one about the old people. Yep. There's a ton of different ones, and they're all—it's weird because they're all from Corvo's perspective, but also very much just from like the rambling thoughts of Justin Roiland. Because some of them don't yeah. make much sense for like an alien perspective; they make sense from a Roiland perspective.
0: The—the the one alien perspective that they have, which is something that I'm actually gonna—I'll uh, I'll drop back into and I'll, I'll chat about a little bit later—is the idea that he always begins this with positing, like, "I hate Earth. Mm-hmm. Like, I hate it here. Like." What a what a what a piece of crap! Like I don't want to be here anymore. And he kind of rails against that. I'm gonna dogger that topic. I'll come back to it in a little bit. The second gag that they have is Terry's t-shirt right. changes every opening. Right. And I love all of the t-shirts that he was wearing. I was actually looking. It looks like Redbubble has the ability to be able to buy a bunch of these different t-shirts. Some of them just say straight out of anime, I love but it's from the N.W. It's yeah. like the N.W.A. Straight out of Compton, yeah. Exactly, so that's always fun. There's one that, uh, you know, it's just the classic black tea with white lettering that everybody does that's, like, with, you know, either uh, people from history or writers or authors. It's been reused over and over and over again, but this one that just says, like, bacon, lettuce, and tomato. Yeah. Who doesn't love a BLT? I love BLTs. It's probably one of my favorite sandwiches. Like, can't go wrong with a BLT. I'm 100% on board. So something like that. And then there was one that was just such a weird dig from when I used to watch a lot of Nick at Night, which is Welcome Back, Otter. Yes, And it's just an otter that looks like Mr. (laughs) Cotter and just so dumb, but it was so fun every step of the way. Just trying to figure out what it
1: is. That is like the weird improv kind of spirit that was in here. But Sean and I were talking offline and we were trying to figure out like how much of this is actually improv just in the booth. And then they, you know, animate to that or in the writing process or whatever. It feels like a tighter show narrative wise than Rick and Morty. There are parts in Rick and Morty where you clearly know, like, Dan Harmon set aside, like, this soapbox for him to just go on a philosophical rant about whatever. Whereas Solar Opposites feels a little more structured, even though it's completely insane and they bring in some, like, bizarre stuff. You can see that there's a bit more of a structure to it, at least from my perspective.
0: And and there's a lot of television programs, uh, and, you know, that that use and implement sort of like an improvised writing uh, platform. Right. And, and so, like, you know, people will, will improvise or they'll, they'll have – discussions between either the writers or possibly like the characters that they have that are there in order to like build and write a scene together. And then they can go back and they can kind of refactor it and say, hey, we wanna heighten this, we wanna play with this, we wanna have fun with it. It's also a method that Second City teaches pretty frequently is how to improvise in order to create sketches. Very common in like a writer's room to be able to leverage and use that. Even, Even Larry David looking at something like Curb Your Enthusiasm, a majority of those scenes that you see that are in Curb Your Enthusiasm there's no script. They have an, a beginning point of how to enter the scene. Right. And then there's an end point of where they
1: need to go by the end of this.
0: And then they let them do a bunch of takes sure. and they take the best one that everybody was excited about. And that's what their process. And that makes so- sense
1: to me for like a live action or if you're on stage for doing improv stuff, because it's kind of like you have that kind of organic flow to things. Obviously, with animation, that's pretty difficult to pull off unless, like Sean mentioned, you're in the writing stage, which makes more sense. Yeah.
0: And they, they did that also with DreamWorks. We've right. been watching and talking a lot about a lot of DreamWorks animation. Even with Voltron, they would have uh, some of the actors as they were going through and reading the lines, they would have them improvise or riff a little bit. Those would then get included in the actual script itself and then animated so that they could kind of retain a little bit of the, the, the personality of the specific actors and, and voiceover artists carry that into the character themselves so kind of fun to see that here
1: and pixar is kind of of known for that too in a weird kind of like (laughs) crunchy kind of iterative process where they essentially make the same movie (laughs) like 50 times because they'll be in the screenwriting phase and then they'll be in you know rough animations and storyboards uh storyboards first rough animations animatics then they'll go into like early passes for and they They'll pull apart a scene and they'll take it to their story group and they'll deconstruct it, and reconstruct it. And like you were saying, just go back and forth over the same yeah, thing. And it's just how they make their stories better. Why it has such emotional range and such highs and lows. And it doesn't always hit. I mean, they've definitely had some clunkers along the way that just couldn't quite crack the story or certain moments of it. But but also we're talking about, a, you know, movies that take multiple <laughs> years and billions of dollars almost to uh, to create. And we're talking about the same kind of process for uh, an eight episode. Um, really well produced and well animated. I love how much stuff they kind of cram into these scenes. Oh, God. Talking about the animation, it's gorgeous. And it's just so, it's packed. Like, it's dense. There's a lot of density kind of in each frame of this thing. There's a lot of stuff in the background to look at. Like Sean mentioned, even just anything from, like, the changing t-shirts and the wardrobe that they have to, like, all the kind of crazy alien tech that's floating around either in the spaceship or scattered (laughs) throughout the house or, you know, if they happen to alter a timeline and the entire neighborhood happens to change, like, they cram so much stuff into everything and that's without even talking about the scale shift in episode 7.
0: Oh god yeah. I, there's yeah, there's so much that's included here. It almost kind of goes back to the idea of this is so much fun and these things are so rich because there are such interesting and unique characters.
1: Well do you have like a favorite among the characters or like any of them you like more than the others? Because there's really only five main ones that we have to talk about.
0: Right. I mean I, I, I really do love the Corvo and Terry character. The dynamic. They are okay. both yeah, they're both very silly. They, they're they an odd couple. Sure. It's, it's an odd couple with aliens. Yeah. You know, uh, one is sort of like the clean, uh, you know, uh, smart, wants to be very motivated, wants to, you know, finish fixing the ship so that, you know, if they need to quickly get off planet, like, it's not a problem for them. And that's Corvo. Terry, exact opposite. He kind of wants to party and assimilate into Earth, and he's excited about things that he's learning on this planet, and... and He doesn't really care about what his responsibility is, which is to be a pupa expert. (laughs) And, and and he almost really doesn't seem to know a lot about the pupa (laughs) himself. So it's very challenging and it's very fun to sort of see somebody who's playing at the height of their stupidity for their job, continue down that path and just progressively either get dumber or pull other people into their level of stupidity. Exactly,
1: Which is pretty much how the eight episodes kind of play out. Each of them kind of, I don't know if you'd say learns from the other, but each of them is pulled into each other's orbit for better or worse. And that's where a lot of the kind of humor and some of the drama, it definitely leans more in the, on the humor side of things, but that's where a lot of that comes up. As far as the, the quote unquote kids or replicants, we've right. got Jesse and then one of the best names ever in an animated series, <laughs> Yum-Yalak, which is a fantastic <laughs> name. And I love that he just kept that name. While he goes yeah. to school, like everybody just they just know him as Yumulac. Um, and there was never, never to be a like a, never a nickname, no, never like no a yummy. It,
0: there was only one time. Well, he did have the nickname Yummy Bear, sure. Uh, in one episode when he was trying to bond with a, a group of popular teens, and then there is an episode where they introduce Funulac, which Fun-y-lack. is like the fun I know, it's so good, but it's just they they, they play off of it, but he still remains at his core, like the same kind of like disgruntled team right. trying to fit in. So it's, it's very enjoyable. And
1: since they're replicants of their kind of older selves with Yumulak, he's, he's, he's mean, <laughs> he's very standoffish. He's pretty cold, but he's trying to assimilate to this, this human world too, just in his own bizarre way, uh, voiced by uh, Sean Jambrone from uh, Goldberg's. And then you have Jesse and Jesse, I don't know. Jesse to me was kind of a, a weaker character overall. I didn't really get a good strong sense of like what, jesse was trying to be or what her kind of like her purpose was i guess within the story itself because she was just kind of this happy-go-lucky kind of just like frolicking along and staring up at the clouds kind of character to me so i don't know maybe you had different opinion
0: yeah i mean i I think you know along the lines of she is a replicant of terry who's a little bit more fun and free loving and accepting she is the only character and, and this is a funny like piece of information that you find out is that when they became replicants they were able to choose their gender Mm. they were able to actually make that decision so Yumulak says like I want to be the equivalent of the Schlorpian male and you get Jesse who says I want to be a female and so there's she's really the only female character like lead character that you have that's on the entire show and so I think that they they found some interesting ways of being able to kind of pull her in whether it was sort of uh, her having that lighter, uh, more appreciative side of things of just trying to fit in, whether it's the flower and the puberty that talk. That drug episode was the best so, for the replicants. So good. Uh, I actually don't think it was. I think there there really? have been a ton of really great uh, Yumulak and Jesse like moments that they've had together. Okay. Whether it was them inside of the the device that actually. Oh my <laughs> gosh the the pretended deck.
1: Pretended deck, yeah. Uh,
0: the pretended deck that they had. There's even this entire scene where they are told that they need to not be late or delinquent to school anymore. And so the two of them (laughs) go to school during summer school because
1: they don't know they're alien kids. Remember they don't know. Nobody tells them about summer break.
0: And so they, they decide to just go to an empty high school for months and teach each other, which like the back and forth dynamic that they have between one another. I think again, it's, it's a distillation of the the relationship that you see between Corvo and Terry, oh. but it's a little bit more lighthearted through the lens of a child kind of growing and, and entering into that puberty stage.
1: Especially when yeah. they get to blackmail two uh, teachers, oh, essentially, God. for having sexual relations <laughs> that, <laughs> on the cafeteria that, table. Whole,
0: <laughs> that whole moment of just like where he says where you get the one teacher who says, I'm about to do this like very explicit sex stuff to you. He goes... He something like, hold up, I watched this on like Cinemax or something.
1: Probably XNXX.com or something.
0: Yeah. oh god. So he, he digs into this whole thing uh, and it just it's so weird and it's so I think he said like, oh, uh, hold on, I saw this on Showtime and it was so weird and so uh, bizarre and just the reference was did not go over my head. It like registered immediately right. and I was just like, ah, Yep, I got this. This is
1: only on Hulu. Yeah. Thanks, Hulu. Only on Hulu. But it's interesting. Like, to me, I guess maybe Young Yulak was more memorable because he has this weird side story thing where he just randomly shrinks humans, whether they're his fellow classmates, people he finds out in the world. He shrinks them down, pockets them, and then puts them in a essentially like wall full of connected terrariums back in their house. And it feels like a throwaway thing in the beginning, and then it turns into possibly definitely the best episode of the season yeah some people argue that that particular story is even stronger than the main story of solar opposites so we can talk about that now if you'd want uh or we can get into some of the other good stuff
0: i i'm i'm happy to get into that but i i I think for me a lot of what's interesting about this show is the storytelling arcs that they introduce. so the a story is this really weird grandiose plan that they have that they are going to be destroying and rebuilding the planet earth to be planet Schlor, And how are they going to do that? So they're going to do that through this pupa that they have, <laughs> which has a whole bunch of encoded DNA right. from the planet. And at some point, the pupa is going to evolve. It, it's going to get bigger. And it's going to uh, do that, essentially like terraform, yep. uh, you know, on the planet Earth. And so they're just kind of there. They've been there for two years. They're waiting for this to happen. And it hasn't happened yet. The second kind of B story is kind of where I'm going to undogear ear my previous conversation, okay. which is sort of the integration into Earth. Right. Because as much as Corvo says, like, I hate Earth, I don't want to be here, he finds his moments of pure pleasure yeah. in doing certain things or including Terry in certain things. There's also Yemulak and Jesse sort of integrating with Earth, with, uh, like, going to school and, and you know, uh, understanding some things regarding, like, the social structure and hierarchy that's within high school as well. So really kind of just allowing them to do that integration. And then there's the C story, which is the wall. And this for me has one of the biggest payoffs in, as Dave mentioned, with the episode called Terry and Corporeal Steal the Bear.
1: <laughs> which has nothing to do with nothing the episode. Nothing to do with that. Except, well, that that, there, there's, except for like one quick scene yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, that plays out in the background.
1: It plays out in the background, so which is super this. fun because it's a, it adds to kind of the meta stuff that's going on because it's like while all this stuff is happening in quote unquote the wall, Terry and Corvo, Jesse and Yumulak, they're still having their normal kind of wacky sitcom, alien, suburban adventures. It still plays out in the background at a different scale. But what you get in the wall, uh, people like to call this the wall world episode or the wall world war or just the wall war. I don't know. It's a bunch of tongue twisters. So probably all just sounded like gibberish. But why people love this one so much is because it focuses on the humans who have been shrunken down, put in this like maze of terrariums in which this kind of post-apocalyptic landscape Controlled by the haves, you know, enslaving the have-nots has all just kind of come up within the last couple of months, couple of weeks. Yeah, They're subsisting on candy <laughs> that Jesse occasionally just like drops into like a little chute to feed them. They're wearing clothes meant for tiny dolls like Polly Pocket Figures and things like that. <laughs> There's a, an incredible kind of like black market bartering and trade system that takes place. I love the scale of this thing, though, because it's like a dark version of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. It would be like if Wayne Zelensky like just shrunk an entire neighborhood and just put them in a wall and then just was like hands off and just watched what happened as like society just kind of like reestablished itself and then ripped itself apart. And it's a fascinating but like super dark episode to watch and it's so different from everything else you've seen in the series so far that it really does make you kind of like lean in a little bit more and really pay attention to what's going on.
0: And and it's great storytelling yeah. because they give you little bits and clips and pieces of this so that when it hits and you get a little bit more and, and you spend this time seeing this wall world war in episode seven, you have enough exposure and context yes. that it makes sense. Yeah, it's
1: not just out of nowhere. They've seeded little right. little scenes, maybe maybe a couple little scenes, a minute or two here and there in the previous six episodes of, you know, Tim being dropped into the the wall for the first time and. Interacting with all the other humans who are shrunk down to to his level, so they they seed it well. You just don't expect that the entirety of Episode Seven is going to be dedicated to this like rebellion, <laughs> this, this or, or even seeing
0: Sherry, yeah, the the character Sherry who was a uh, uh, like worked at a Benihana's yep. that gets dropped in, and you're just like, where are they going to go with this? And it ends up being so incredibly fun. It's great, so incredibly bizarre. Yeah, uh, and they. They do such a great job of moving in this direction regarding the storytelling for this C story, yeah. this C story in this show, that it opens it up for season two and three Definitely. to really kind of go off the rails, now, to really have a lot of fun with
1: it. Here's this. here's one thing I want to bring up. As great as that was, whether you're talking about Rain Wilson, so Rain Wilson plays a dairy farmer of sorts uh, in this episode. But because they're shrunken down to, like, miniature size, his his quote-unquote cow is a rat. It's a mouse. Yeah. So he's just got, like, rat milk. And he loves this mouse. He loves this rat. Terrible things happen to this rat. Uh, and they pick that back up in episode eight with just, like, a throwaway scene that if episode seven hadn't, like, existed, you would have just been like, oh, that's disgusting. But instead, it gives you this moment of, like, oh, oh, no. Like, oh, my God. I can't believe. And they just toss it aside. Yeah. But. Here's here's the thing that I wanted to address. When people watched episode seven, a lot of the reactions with people I talked to were like, I want an entire series that's just that. No. Now why do you say no? Because I agree with you. I, but I want to know why. I
0: I, I I I love the idea of this playing into the like the larger story exactly. at some point. Yeah. I don't think that this would be an interesting standalone. I I Sort of similar to whenever you watch Rick and Morty and they'll do one episode a season that's for intergalactic cable. Sure. And it's a bunch of like weird non sequiturs and you can definitely hear the improvised nature of the show really kind of come to the forefront of storytelling. It's just silly. It's fun. I think that this wall, this sea story has more impact if they're able to continue to kind of seed small things and how things are, are taking place because at the end of episode seven, there's a big twist. There's like two big twists, a couple that happen, of big sea like changes, in a, yeah, in a, in a row, and just to kind of have those things, uh, I think scattered throughout. I think it does a great job in terms of being able to vary up the pacing of the other stories that are being told through the other aliens that are living in the house. Uh, it's very interesting. It's just very interesting. I just don't think it would stand, I don't think it would do as great of a job or have as much of an impact if it was its own series and spin And I agree.
1: And it's because that extra kind of layer of meta storytelling adds just kind of a, it's hard to pin down, but it adds an extra kind of flavor, an extra interesting wrinkle that kind of just like makes your your neurons fire a little bit more. Because as you're watching this kind of post-apocalyptic class war battle, and it's bloody man like it's it's violent Oof. it's bloody and they're super creative with it because they're all using little tiny weapons and they're so cute but they're also so deadly uh but the one watch.
0: dude who gets his nose shot yeah. off with a toothpick yeah. in like one of the first <laughs> scenes that you see you're just
1: like <laughs> it's brutal
0: yeah, yeah Even
1: it's terrible. just the stuff that terrifying. they use for their furniture or their armor or their weapons or the way that they like build their rooms just using
0: lego blocks as so like good. defense it's, it's so, so good
1: silly. i love it i love it but it's also very like hard R and brutal. Like I said, it's like Mad Max meets Honey I Shrunk the Kids, which is a bizarre thing to think of. But I'm glad that this exists. But I agree with you. Without that without that being nested in the larger story of Solar Opposites, it doesn't quite have the same impact. We've seen post-apocalyptic war stuff before. We've seen shrunken down kind of people having adventures before. Yeah, it's weird to combine those two things together, but without that extra layer of storytelling from Solar Opposites A story. It doesn't quite work the same, so I agree.
0: And they do a great and they do a great job of doling it out to yes. you over time because I you get some of it in the first couple episodes, yep. and you become intrigued, you become interested in terms of what's going on, and it's also always in the background of Jesse and Yemulak's room, so you see this take place as well as also you see the counter angle inside of the actual wall looking out to see the rest of the the alien family, right. the rest of the Schlorpians that are in there there i think it's maybe the the episode six the patricia device where they take a break from going into the wall and you're you're getting to the point where you're kind of conditioned where you're just like oh give me some more of that wall like i'm really interested and then they take it away from you and you're like what Mm -hmm. episode seven then explodes that world out (laughs) in in a great
1: way and then they like you said though they they break up that kind of tension because it's it's not funny. Like it's not a funny episode oh. until they show the stuff kind of happening in the background. And it gives you a little bit of a break just for a second or two to laugh while Terry and, and Corvo were like wrestling a giant circus bear. <laughs>
0: like, Well, I, I will actually say the Rain Wilson character, there were a couple laughs that took place. He was a good character. For that character in that episode. Yeah. I'll talk about this in my LOL. Okay, little, cool.
1: Little bit. Yeah. Um, a couple, anything else from the good section before we kind of scoot along to the bad?
0: No, I mean, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of good stuff. I definitely want to jump. Into the bad Can I as well? just
1: drop one more storytelling thing?
0: Oh, I hate to do this, but now we're out of time
1: getting no, yes, so course. Sad. I no, but I love yes. the I love the schlorpian backstory, which we didn't really talk much about. But it's basically a riff on Superman and Krypton. So essentially they come from a planet yeah. that a comet was just gonna like land and blow it up, and they tell you this in a the theme song. But they send out like a hundred uh Shlorpians and their replicants to distant worlds, and our team happened to land on, quote, an overpopulated Earth. So I love that. They just kind of like, just like without any humor, he's just like, yeah, we were on planet Schlorp, and there was a comet and it blew up. So we had to like come to this shitty planet and now we're here. So it's just like very kind of like blase attitude, but obviously <laughs> the like Superman background and you get to revisit it in episode eight. So that's a fun one too.
0: Yeah, that is. Cool. I think the
1: rest of them I can say for my LOLs because they kind of double. All
0: right. Well, let's get into some of the bad. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about this. I think we've actually talked small bit about kind of I, what my feeling is in terms of where I feel that there might be some issues with the show and it is the parallels to Rick and Morty. I think that's really it's, it for me too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very hard, you know? Uh, and I, I came up with a couple examples, humor me and indulge mm, me if you will well do always, uh, the voice acting, um, mm. you know, similar voice actors, especially, uh, with Roland, you know, voicing sort of titular characters that you have for this, uh, you know the voice acting, you know from from him. It's hard to kind of differentiate in some cases, especially because the Corvo character himself is sort of a super scientist uh, and able to kind of create and use and leverage these technologies. Right. He's very invested in science. He just doesn't burp, learning. or
1: stutter as much. That's about it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. He's just not drunk. All. The time. He's just not
1: a drunk grandfather. Yeah, yeah. He's
0: not a drunk. So you know, it's very hard in terms of the voice acting, the character. I'll say even the writing there's these moments where they have a couple of the characters in here that say like, Oh, this is my arc. Like this is, this is what I'm doing. This like, this is what my arc is. That's almost verbatim. Exactly what happened in certain instances for Rick and Morty season. four. Yeah. There's not quite enough
1: separation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's entire sections where you hear summer and Morty just saying like, this is my arc. Like this is what I'm doing this season and it's meta and it's referential and it's fun and it's not lost in terms of where Rick and Morty is because in some cases they haven't really set up like a season arc. Right. Like you get to that final episode, and then finally you realize that there is a bigger threat that they have to combat and fight against with Wrangler jeans. This episode is sponsored by Wrangler jeans. Oh, I wish they're indestructible. Yeah, uh, you know, and and so it, it's interesting to sort of see even like the language in terms of the writing not differentiate itself at at all, uh, which is hard because season four of Rick and Morty was coming out around the same time yeah. that this, this premiered. Was so. You know? I
1: will say, too, one thing kind of we're arguing it's too much like Rick and Morty at times. I will say one of the reasons or one of the ways that they could have been more like Rick and Morty in a good way was to have a little more a little more heft, a little more weight to it. I'm not a huge fan of Harmon's kind of philosophical rants from Rick and Morty, but I know a lot of people love that stuff and I get I like it. Them. I know a lot of. Yeah, a lot of people I like do. I am definitely in the minority, but because Solar Opposites doesn't have that because I guess they didn't want to be too much like Rick and Morty. It doesn't quite have as much gravity. Uh, It doesn't quite have as much as many consequences, as much uh, kind of a serious storytelling, which you don't need and you don't necessarily want. But this is more to set expectations for people out there who love Rick and Morty, maybe haven't watched Solar Opposites yet and are expecting that same kind of pattern of storytelling. You're not really going to get that Solar Opposites. So that may skew some people one way or another uh, as to how they react to it. That's all.
0: The final thing that I, I think I have in terms of parallels to Rick and Morty is just the animation, you know, and, and that even comes across, Dave, in, I think, a very particular way that you don't enjoy. The pupils. Which is,
1: I hate yeah. the pupils. Like, why? All those
0: students. I hate those students. All those little pupils. They're the there. worst. Oh, we're these talking kids.
1: Now, the eye these, pupils. Yeah. The oh, weird okay. little little butthole eyes. I don't understand Why? <laughs> They've got the Rubble like, eyes. yeah, they've got like the, the flag symbol from a uh, community, like the community school <laughs> that, flag symbol. Is just it's like, just like a weird asterisk. It's a size. weird bubbly asterisk. And I kind of yeah. feel bad for the animators. I'm assuming they have some kind of like shortcut that lets them just keep that thing uh, consistent as they move it around. Because otherwise that would be an absolute nightmare. <laughs> but I hate them, man. I I, I don't know. Yeah, I, There's no reason for it. <laughs> Unless that's like Royland's signature stamp. But like, what a weird thing.
0: It's I I will say just again for the the bad and again some of it is Rick and Morty related is you know, uh, like there, there might be an end game, here in terms of the storytelling, like you know which is the terraforming of planet Earth with this pupa or the wall, Uh, the wall
1: humans who knows what they're gonna do once they get out into the world,
0: but in the meantime it sounds like everything that they have so far has just been sort of non sequitur or very happenstance related for the storytelling very episodic yeah. And so I'm I'm trying to understand what what difference that's that's what I guess I'd like to see in season two and three is like what actual story sure. are they trying to tell for this is this just going to be kind of more goofy stuff which again like I'm still
1: going to yeah still, still good stuff yeah
0: still going to watch it uh is this just going to be sort of more of the same you know sort of like when you have a an artist who releases like their their freshman CD and then their sophomore CD is like. Probably more songs from that same first recording session. you are yeah. like, oh, I still dig this. Right. Like, I don't see a lot of growth, but like, I'm still having fun with right. it. Like, thank you for making two, like, two things two that really I like that cool are the same, that basically. I like. yeah. And then they're like, their third album is just like, oh, we found college rock music. Mm-hmm. Or, are we, you know, we're going to start playing a didgeridoo. And you're
1: like, don't do we're that. We're going to have don't, a track of don't don't 15 it. minutes of silence. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Well, it's yeah.
0: just, just weird. sound I bowls for chanting. yeah. Yep.
1: Damn it. They're going to be like Korn where the first uh, eight tracks on their 16 track CD was just silence because it was supposed to be a second part to their previous. I don't know why I remember that. I don't know where. Yeah. It was what follow the leader was supposed to be no. like a second part to whatever they had released previously. So the first eight or 12 tracks were just four seconds of silence each.
0: God. Do you remember, do you remember one oh CD? Boy. Dave, you remember CDs? I remember, remember CDs. CDs. I still got a few. Remember... <laughs> I got a lot. I got, I got a whole got box a behind me and I just don't know what to do with them. <laughs> uh, remember like what CDs used to like they'd be like hey uh we're gonna end the album on track 11 and then track 12 through like 26 or whatever yeah blank yep and then there'd be like a secret track at the end and you find it and you'd feel like a modern day Indiana Jones for music The
1: music would just start playing in the background it was great these days you just get a DMCA strike yep
0: (laughs) so I think that that's maybe my final bad thing that I have is I'm just I want to know how this is different from Rick and Morty I want I want the show to distinguish itself. Let
1: me ask you a follow up question for that. Then, would you? How would you feel about a Solar Opposites Rick and Morty crossover? (sighs) Now, that's not confirmed or denied or anything.
0: I don't think I want it. I don't. I mean, I you know I think that both of these stories are so referential and so uh, pop culture influenced in the beginning. Like, I don't think that there's a reason to do it. I, I just. Maybe if they are background characters, it'd be kind of like a fun little like, hey, I see you there. Like, I found you. You're an Easter egg. But in terms of actually having a crossover like that, I think it would just be sort of weird.
1: It's sort of like if you want Solar Opposites to be its own thing, then you don't want there to be a crossover. Right. If you are okay with the idea that, you know, Rick and Morty has established the multiverse. Solar Opposites has obviously established alien life out there in the, the many worlds. And
0: weird time. And weird timey, time timey, stuff. Implications. Sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, all kinds of stuff. So theoretically, they could both exist in each other's realities. I don't, yeah, I don't know that I want to say that either. I'd kind of like Solar Opposites to stand on its own and, and Rick and Morty to continue doing its own thing too. Now, if they just wow. had like one weirdo special like the CW does every once in a while, where it was just like Ooh. a random standalone crossover episode, maybe. Yeah. But if they do something like integrate Rick and Morty into the Wall World and like that, I don't know too much. And again, that's that's just me brainstorming terrible ideas they could come up with. None of this is confirmed. But or Justin,
0: we know you're listening. Definitely If you like these ideas, Jump let us down, know. We will write. Them. We will write that episode or, for or you. Or pay
1: us. Yes, do that instead. Yeah,
0: we'll just we'll write that episode. It's already We're happy done. To, we uh we have representation now. <laughs> we don't. We don't. Don't tell them that. Okay, hey, look, I'm trying to be honest. I don't want to start a relationship with a lie. We can be silly in it, but we can't lie.
1: Let's start a relationship with an LOL. Oh,
0: let's get into it. <laughs> um, there's so much stuff that's in it's here. It's a comedy
1: series. Intentionally. Yeah. Normally, the LOLs are reserved for like, here's a couple of funny things in that action cartoon from 1976 that we watched. Or like, here's some really janky animation from that 80s series that no one ever saw. But this stuff is a comedy. So it's literally like eight episodes of LOLs.
0: I just got one thing to say, Shoot. three words. Dig old Bix.
1: I got something to say to you. Four words. You all ready for bisque?
0: <laughs> and I just want like nothing but like the oh. Like God, CNC know, Music Factory or whatever CNC it is. C Music yeah, Factory yeah. and like Jock Jams Volume Two to just start like blaring. Exactly. In a t shirt cannon, shooting hot dogs at people. <laughs> shooting bisque. That's what I
1: want. Just shooting, shooting bisque at people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> shooting hot bisque. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, ready for biz. I love it. So I, love it I love Fun Bucket
1: I love Fun Bucket in all three of his abominations. Ugh. Fun Bucket is this like bizarre mascot from the world of Solar Opposites. But because we have alien scientists who don't understand what mascots are, they essentially want to clone and create their own version of Fun Bucket. Fun Bucket. So they do. But the first one, they have fun with him. He kind of betrays them. The second one is a gross, kind of like malformed, dysfunctional clone version of him who's sad and hysterical <laughs> but when they merge together akira style is one of the funniest things and that's like Ooh. the first episode i think so it's like it really clues you in as to what kind of laughs and nonsense you're in for right. for the rest of the season yeah
0: it's uh it's it's such a bizarre character to kind of have as a part of like the introduction but i think you're right it does set the tone <laughs> yeah. really well uh just burn victim trash man sure burn victim trash man is this idea that they had of putting together the prestige <laughs> And any other movie that would have included, like that was it now. You, now you see me. Sure. Uh, uh,
1: and the and the illusionist, I guess, was. Uh, yeah. It's, same time. If
0: you were to take all of these things and smash them together again, it's the idea that these are aliens who are in our culture being exposed to things for the first time where suddenly you have Corvo saying like, oh, people get respect and people like
1: Magicians. magic. Magic. Yeah.
0: And I want respect and I want people to hang out with me on my taco Tuesday. <laughs> so I'm going to learn magic in order to get people to be a part of my Taco Tuesday. And it's has disastrous results, but it's also so weird and so funny. It was but fun. it just it was a really enjoyable episode of just getting to the point where there was a, a quick title screen where it flashes to like people watching Corvo do magic uh that has been like <laughs> uploaded as a viral video. Right. And it just says like burn victim trash man <laughs> slash Voldemort. <laughs> right. And I laughed for no no, reason, that's a good reason. But it's just like it's so stupid it's funny. It's really
1: stupid funny. And it helps to have the visual components of that too. So go watch that one. But they do so much fun stuff with magic because it's sort of like, you know, the old adage that like any sufficiently advanced technology is inseparable from magic. So in other words, if your technology is good enough and you're showing it to people who have not reached that pinnacle of understanding, it looks magical. It looks like wizardry, yeah. right? So Corvo takes that uh, idea a step further and just uses his technology to create like top tier, like god tier magic essentially like
0: like his final trick is he's going to jump through a black hole <laughs> right. and not get completely vaporized, <laughs> right.
1: which doesn't end well doesn't yeah but does i also love well. that you have characters who essentially can get like burned annihilated killed and buried uh, they find their ways nex- to like
0: their neck slit
1: yeah which may or may not have happened uh but they find ways to like write around that so they can either like regenerate them or it was all a dream or they were in a holodeck sequence or all kinds of stuff or the timeline stuff. So they, they have ways to write around it. So they have fun with it and then they write them back in.
0: We, we, we even have an episode. It's it's for the booster manifold where we, we talked a little bit about the sort of the pollen or the drug oh, episode. So That's the episode. So there's this point at the very end of it where the only way that they can uh, help heal these children who have been infected with, the mix of both Yumulac and Jesse's pollen, which is like
1: a combination uh, of like ecstasy and cocaine, essentially.
0: Yeah, it is the idea that they need to cut them with these like healing nunchucks yeah. and and like healing weapons, weapons <laughs> and and like a spear and a sword. And so they are cutting these kids in half Brutally. and then the, the kids, it's brutal, and that they are immediately regenerating. They're like, Oh, thanks for helping me out with this. So it's again, it's this like way of them being able to show the advanced sophistication, which again would look like magic to anybody or murder (laughs) yeah but it's done in such an absolutely brutal fashion they have their
1: cake and they eat it too essentially it's like we want to just like kill everybody on screen but then we want to have a (laughs) way that they're like fine and we don't just have like piles of corpses to get rid of and this is how they do it it's really fun and imaginative
0: even when even when they do have piles of corpses they're just like oh we're gonna like scoop up their ashes and then we're gonna reconstitute them and they'll be reformed as babies and then they'll have a second chance at life exactly you're like Wait,
1: what? Or if we're going to kill somebody, we'll just hit him with a ray gun and turn him into a Game Boy cartridge. (laughs)
0: That was the best.
1: (laughs) That's also a thing that they do on the show. So it's like (laughs) they find really interesting ways of getting rid of people uh, to solve their problems, (laughs) which sounds Uh, terrible. Do you mean at at
0: Louis Pasteur's uh, frozen uh, yogurt The frozen yogurt. Yep, exactly. Straight
1: murdered somebody. Yeah. Close to you.
0: Just brutal
1: that that came uh, from is that one of the episodes that you think was the best for yumulak and jesse
0: i loved yeah number four i thought was a lot of fun and then right after that is you have the uh was it lavatic reactor yeah. which was a good episode which is the one with them continuing to go to school
1: for the whole uh, summer like in like a like yeah. a john hughes type type send up yes well now then, the last episode was uh terry and corvo mess around with the timeline meanwhile jesse and yumulak they have kind of a the addition of Funulac. Yeah. T- I thought you were gonna say that was your favorite episode with the the replicants. Because they do a I lot can't. of soul searching there.
0: I actually thought that maybe one of my favorite episodes was the Patricia device. Interesting. Just because just be I think it's fun, just because the, the Yumulac character uh, continues to say he's like, Oh, are you Terry and Corvo character, are you guys gonna play with like a gender politics episode? Right. And really, kind of dig into that. He goes because if you're doing that, I'm not even going to get included. And then Jesse wants to; uh, she gets assigned the idea of having to pass a class by breaking a glass ceiling for something. Right. And so she goes in a very specific direction. So you just have Yemi like just go like, "Oof, I am not going to get involved with whatever your gender politic episode is. Like, I'm going to go do my own thing." And it just is that when he was crocodile
1: Dundee for the entire episode. Exactly. Okay, yes. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That's the scene where he walks in and he's just like. Guys realize how much a didgeridoo costs. Like <laughs> just, it's like five thousand dollars. Like, I'm gonna buy one, but man, that's a lot of money. Just a
1: lot of really random Australian kind of like name drops and.
0: But it was fun to kind of see them tackle something like a gender episode, and have the Yumulak character just be like, "I see what you're doing, and I'm gonna call it out." It doesn't like make it any better or any worse but like I'm in a it out I'm just not
1: going to be a part of this yeah um,
0: yeah I'm just not I'm not into this I like, like I'm just I'm not into it like it was fun to kind of show how those things were were working and I you know I, I think anybody familiar with the idea of a man cave and just sort of like why a man cave would be super fun uh and and maybe it's because of like our age Dave where we are like 30s
1: I know, almost four yeah, now. I was going to say, um, gonna bump it up. Yeah, I
0: know. All right. <laughs> Chill out. I'm your roll, bud. All right. Uh, you know, just the idea of like, you know, our our dads yeah. or, or like maybe a dad's friend or somebody that we grew up with had some type of a man cave. So it's like, it's like that immediate accessible male stereotype that they play into and that they have fun with in terms of like why a man cave is fun with disastrous results. I mean, and again, this is at like the scale of like destroying the entire city <sighs> Level and it was so silly. And then the entire way that they resolve this is what we've talked about very early in the episode yeah. about being able to bury yourself in a shipping container with a cock robot. Yep, with a cock robot. <laughs> <laughs> just like just to be able to emasculate this thing for like, eternity. It's, it's so
1: brutal, but it's so funny. I will say I really love the the stuff between Jesse Yumulak and Funulak, who is yes. a an AI. Uh, program that runs in their essentially their holodeck creation who was created by Jesse and Aisha uh, who's the AI kind of like computer system that runs the holodeck Funulac was created so that Jesse could enjoy spending time with her brother without feeling like demeaned threatened, <laughs> assaulted <laughs> in danger all the time a, a fun version anything, any of those yeah. negative feelings she could actually just have fun um, so Yumulak. Discovers this and learns a lot from Lack. That doesn't quite end the way you, you expect it does, but there were some LOL moments in there. The one where they they visited the uh, yogurt shop, obviously. But when I, my yeah, good.
0: Oh no, I, I was gonna say keep going because I my the thing I take problem with is the ending of this episode.
1: Interesting. Oh, because of yeah. the way they wrap everything up. Same. Yeah, yeah, yeah same. But yeah. as far as like them exploring, like Yumulac is trying to learn how to undo literally everything he's made of, which is just like just nasty and cold and aggressive. He's trying to unlearn all that through uh, Funulac. And when he actually makes some progress, Funulac rewards him with a little sticker. He's like, here's a sticker of your favorite Avenger. And he's like, oh yeah, Hawkeye. My name is Clint. My superpower is aim. Aim at you. Aim at you. <laughs> aim at you. Just like to watch him have so much joy from a Hawkeye sticker and to be that so like good. enthusiastic over Hawkeye was delightful.
0: It's a... This episode I thought was very fun. A couple of reasons. One, you have Jason Manzuka's come on as Van Bo. I hate Van Bo. Love to hate Love the Van to hate Bo, Van Bo Van character. Bo. Love to hate the vambo character. You also get a moment where you see some of the potential powers of the pupa. Yeah. Where the pupa actually like knocks noggins with a neighbor and then is transported into like a dream state. Where suddenly the pupa can talk and do you know who voiced the pupa in this it's moment?
1: liam Cunning- cunningham
0: yeah, yeah. it's davos <laughs> <they're> from game <laughs> it's of thrones the onion knight <laughs> it's The Onion Knight. So suddenly the voice of the pupa in there because he wants to get double a batteries and a harry potter whistle little harry potter, it's potter whistle the goofiest sub story like plot but like it's so fun and rewarding when it pays off the problem i have is that at the very end of this episode yep. it's just deus ex machina's itself and it's just like isn't this sound, doesn't this feel weird? Like it should all be a dream? Like it should all be a dream?
1: Because a lot then, of stuff happens at this point. So they go through and they mess up a bunch of timelines and then they realize that they've busted everything. There's dinosaurs, there's aliens, there's monsters just roaming the streets. And then uh, Van Vanbo and Terry's old like broodmate or whatever. Terry with an eye. Terry I. with an eye, who's now <laughs> Vanby also with an eye. Uh, oh they show up and you are like, oh my God, like everything's about to go down. or we're, This is setting up season two conflicts. And then what happens?
0: it's just that they realize that they've been in this pretended act the entire time and yeah. it just sort of all fizzles out so uh, the, it was kind of a little bit of a letdown because i wanted again i wanted to see those consequences kind of carry over to another season but they just sort of explained it away in a flash
1: one final lol from that moment though is when terry is like trying to explain this to everybody like this it's not right there's too many things that are changing at once this isn't this has to be off and he, he asked yeah. corvo he's like how do we know we're not in uh, the matrix which The phrasing of that is hilarious to begin with. We're not in uh, The Matrix. And then Korver looks at him. He's like, well, because there'd be green numbers floating around and leather sunglasses. It's the leather sunglasses bit that killed me because everything is leather in that movie. Why not leather sunglasses? (laughs) Uh, But we haven't talked enough about the pupa. Who's the real kind of main cliffhanger at the end of season one? Right like the pupa has its own little adventures. It, it saves like lab animals or animals up for auction. At one point it gets sent to Africa right. randomly. It, 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 there's <laughs> it an entire there's thing so where things. like it
0: goes up for auction yeah. and then it's exposed to like Paddington, the bear yep. Donald duck, yep. <laughs> 101 Dalmatians and a Mickey mouse character that are all in there that they free yeah. and that they allow to get out. It's it, insane. I mean, there's so much that's again, this show is so dense in terms of its comedy its references, the things that are in there, like we haven't even talked about the fact that you know, for the for the the character that Rain Wilson played, he has mouse milk. There's mouse nog yep. at some point to celebrate at the something. holiday, and they <laughs> I mean, they revealed that this character was the former CEO of AT and T, who yumulak shrunk him because he farted in an elevator yep. and that was the whole reason for this. We haven't even talked about the red goobler. I love the gooblers. There's all these there's all these goobler things where like whenever they get stressed out about stuff, these little like pink gooblers pop out of them sort of like sweat and sometimes kind of pupa like, eats them. Right. Pupa typically eats them and every 100,000 <laughs> uh goobler pink goobler that comes out a red goobler comes out, but a red goobler uh wants to kill the person who created it. So like it, it's it's so like and these are episodes. These span over episodes. Full episodes. These are things yeah. that are happening that you're just like, wait, are they going to contain this within like, you know, like a like a first part or like a first third of the episode? No, it's like whole this episode. is stuff that happens early <laughs> and then has payoff later in the season. The and red
1: goobler stressed me out. That whole episode stressed me out because, uh, <laughs> like, Corvo I think thinks that uh, it's trying to kill him, but then Terry tells him like, nope, it's dead. It's taken care of. But it's not. It's still out there somewhere in the world, and it's uh season two probably gonna come back and try to kill him at some point so I'm already stressed out thinking that it's somewhere out in the world just waiting and plotting
0: couldn't be more excited Love about it I right. any more fun lols Dave
1: man there's so many it, I, I just,
0: feel like we could just keep talking about yeah, this we should just, just go watch started watch lol we
1: should have just Damn rolled it. through it I mean there was Damn good it. good quality structural stuff to talk about which I think was important and then just some of the yeah. fun lols that were like just a little extra call out for those things but just really little, really well done
0: just a little just a little, a little mwah, mwah. Uh, Well, we have now talked about all of season one of Solar Opposites. So we're going to get to our recommendations. A couple things to note. We can recommend a cartoon and we can say why we think it's a good use of your time to check it out. We can also then say we don't recommend something. And we can maybe give a suggestion of what else you should be watching or just something that we've been watching that we enjoy. So we cannot recommend something. If we don't recommend something, we can go one step further and we can give it the dip. Yes, the dip from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It erases it from the annals of cartoon history. Have we done this before? We've done it a bunch before. Probably like five or
1: six times. Something like so that, yeah.
0: There are cartoons out of the 270-something episodes that we have that actually have been dipped. We probably should go back and dip a bunch more, but we're
1: not. <laughs> <Probably> should. we should. <laughs> technically, we should probably dip some of our earlier episodes of this actual podcast, too. But Oh,
0: God, yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, gang. Uh, well, Dave, yeah. we're at our recommendation. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling about Solar Opposites.
1: I feel great. Uh, You know, we know that there are two more seasons coming, so I don't have uh, any reservations about recommending this to people. I think if you've listened for the last hour or so, you'd know whether or not this is something you'd be interested in. So, A, if you're a Rick and Morty fan, B, if you're a fan of, like, animated sitcoms with a little bit of wackiness, or C, if you just want a cartoon that is not afraid to be super violent, super mature and suggestive, but also really funny at the same time, Check it out. Yeah. That's a recommend from me. What about you, Bud?
0: You know it's it's very funny because I'm going to recommend this as well. But what I think is very funny is what you mentioned that we didn't get a chance to highlight, which is just the graphic language that they use in this. Oh yeah, there it was is one un- point where Terry sure. drops a hard C, yeah. and I I guess maybe I'm just not used to watching or no. hearing that on television. Where no one is. And, ooh, <laughs> what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, this show is definitely trying, and I think over hopefully the next two seasons to sort of differentiate itself from its Rick and Morty counterpart. And I wanna see that happen. I wanna kind of see this grow into something that is a little bit different, that you know uh, enjoys itself and kind of has its own tone, its own story to tell. I think that there's a lot of great stories, as we've mentioned, that are telling the, the A, the B, and the C story that they have that are here. I hope that they kind of continue to sort of build or add additional texture to those existing stories I'm sure that they're also going to create a lot of additional weird fun things. The thing that Dave and I I think have enjoyed the most about the show are just the weird characters and holy crap. Are they super fun? I'm sure that we're probably going to see a majority of them come back in the next season as well. So plus we'll
1: get more uh, wall. We'll definitely get more red goobler. So,
0: right. So there's all these fun callbacks that have me excited about season two and season three. Plus I also really hope that because season three has already been approved that hopefully that will influence a little bit of the writing process. Unlike Rick and Morty, I would like there to be an ending to this show. Yeah, this feels like Rick, it's and more structured. Gonna go for, yeah, Rick and Morty is going to go on for yeah. Rick and Morty is going to go on for like nine plus seasons or something like that. Yeah. I would love this to get to uh, you know season four or, or five and be like we're good. Like we told the story that we wanted to tell. We haven't even mentioned that Thomas Middleditch is Terry, like, which I neglected I, to do
1: in my review early on too. So yeah.
0: I love Thomas Middleditch. So the fact that he's in this as as a main character is super fun. I just, it's enjoyable. It's also, it's a fun comedy. Check it out. How -hmm. often do you get to see really fun Hulu original animations kind of go in this direction? So very cool. Good job, Hulu. I'm looking out for you for more animation.
1: Yeah, Hulu doing great.
0: Oh man. Well, that's it. That's it for (laughs) Solar Opposites. Man. Until next time. We've talked... We've talked a bunch about it. We have. So, and we got two more seasons
1: coming up, so buckle yeah. up.
0: Ooh, yeah. Get ready. Well, you heard him on this episode, our friend Bobby Anthem. You can hear him on his paranormal podcast, Inhuman Experience, along with his co-host, Bobby Blades. You can find them on Twitter at IEXP underscore podcast. And in that same stream for Inhuman Experience, there's also Bobby's solo show, In Search of My Lost Soul. I can't recommend it enough. It's awesome. I cried when I listened to like the first two, three episodes. It's so good. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, just about anywhere that you find and listen to podcasts. So definitely check it out. Thank you, Bobby, as always.
1: Dave, what's going on with you, buddy? Same old stuff over here that'll make you cry too, like still being an oh. editor over Collider.com. No, just kidding. You can check me out there. Uh, if you want to chat me up, you can do so on Twitter at Dr. Claw MD, and I will not follow you because I don't follow anybody except this podcast and my girlfriend. So take that. <laughs> If you're interested in reading, getting away from social media for a while, you can check out The Science of Breaking Bad, available from MIT Press, and you can pick it up on the Amazons. What's up with you, bud? What's new? What's uh, exactly the same from last week?
0: Oh, man. Well, uh, when we're not in a pandemic, <laughs> I perform live improv comedy with a group that's called Knox. That's NOX! exclamation point. We actually are doing some uh, online shows that are, I think are streaming through uh, Facebook Live through Washington Improv Theater. So if you're interested in finding tickets and times, witdc.org for tickets and times that we have that are available, so you can check out uh, everything that we have that's there. So please take a look. Uh, if you want to talk to me on social media, it's at Sean Paul Ellis. It's pretty easy. <laughs> I'm typically always on there, I'm trying to get off of it, but I, I will usually always respond. So thank you. Also, I am on a improvised comedy podcast that is called The Bureau. We just finished recording last weekend, all of season two. So this is going to be up over the next couple weeks. Nice. So you can check out season two of The Bureau. If you want to hear what you think it would be like for an improvised, again, improvised comedy podcast uh, of four people who all work at the FBI who are recording a podcast in either their break room or this season, all remote, you can check out (laughs) the Bureau anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Nice touch. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Uh, Want to support us? Oh, man, you're so nice. Uh you could be a friend of ours over at our Patreon. I think we have a note, Dave, about our Patreon. Sure, right?
1: yeah, let's do uh let's do a quick side note here for Patreon folks, especially those who have been following us uh on this podcast since the beginning. We've long talked about wanting to get into original productions through Saturday Morning Cartoons, and honestly, the reason we launched Patreon was to be able to do something like that. Well, guess what? Thanks to support from folks like you, we are able to do that. So we have recently formed an LLC and we were currently in process of producing our first original production. So that's all I'm going to tease for right now. But I did want to give a quick shout out to people who have helped out along the way. So get ready for a rundown of everybody who's ever <laughs> helped fund us <laughs> over on Patreon.com and some folks who continue to do so. And we really do appreciate it. So big thanks to go to Doug Kendall, Jake Grimshaw, Westborn Westbourne Eastbred. Bill Dixon, Fit Fan, John hilter Tyrese Walton, Jonathan Renteria ellier Jermaine Myrick, Carson Clark, Alex Kazanis, Jamal Newman, Allison Keane, Jack Connolly, Havoc, Melanie Harker, Derek, just Derek, Sean just Ellis, it. of course, Jake G., Jason Frednick, and his frog Fred, Imani Jones, og message show and charlie visconage so thank you to everybody uh with support from you we were able to do this and embark on what we hope is the next great adventure here for saturday morning cartoons but stay tuned you'll have more news coming in the weeks and months ahead thank you Dave. thank you sean very
0: excited very excited guys uh if you haven't supported us on patreon now's the time you can go on patreon (laughs) search saturday morning cartoons remember that's morning with you if you didn't hear your name
1: you haven't supported us
0: yeah well we'll read your name next time Yeah, next time uh you can also just tell a friend because we don't know how Apple iTunes works Still. or the recommendation engine. It doesn't. So whatever. You can slide into our DMs on Twitter at MorningTunes. Remember that's Morning With You. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Saturday Morning Cartoons. Drop us an old fashioned email SaturdayMorningCartoons at gmail.com. You can find all of these links and all of this contact information in the link tree which is in the bio for all of our social media sites as well as also you can listen to us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere Find podcasts are sold. We're going to be coming back next week. I'm pretty sure it's going to be a listener recommendation, oh, right, Dave? Oh, baby, it better
1: be. The lawyers li- yeah. the, the liars. The liars are breaking down the doors. Well, that's everything. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening to Saturday Morning Cartoons. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to transform and roll out.